Welcome to the Simple Cocktails podcast from Tales of the Cocktail, episode four from New Orleans. I'm Greg Mays, managing editor of simplecocktails.net. And I'm Lisa Mays. Thanks for tuning in. This episode is sponsored by Jägermeister and Catoctin Creek Distilling Company, home of Roundstone Rye Whiskey. Please excuse us, my friends, as we fill our gobs full of delicious powdery beignets. And we are enjoying them. Yeah, we are. Yeah. So we decided to like smarten up a little bit this year. That's Last right. year we went there. It was really hot. We got sugar in between our toes and came Miserable. home feeling disgusting and sticky. So this year we decided to take it home yeah. in our nice air-conditioned Uber. Right. And... Um, basically ate we it, ate in, the it tub. in the yeah yeah it was it was awesome we should just eat it in the uber that would have been the safe way then it would have been a mess at all for yeah, us yeah that would have been really nice and considerate it would have been messed up yeah we just got naked and sat in the tub and just <laughs> no, covered ourselves didn't. with powdered sugar and then just turned on the shower when we were done i saved the rest of the powdered sugar that was in my bag yeah. because when i get home i'm going to make a dozen donuts <laughs> and i can use all that sugar to cover every single donut in that dozen yeah <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a lot of sugar that you end up with in the bag, so definitely... Uh, I know that we are doing the touristy things, but we're kind of like stuck in this like little tight circle of where we can go, because yeah. this is work for us, do you right. know what I mean? So, we're not going to cruise across town, because we got too much to do in this area. Right, and I'm sure there are a lot of beignets, but these are great memories from last year, right. so I kind of like the way that they tasted this year as well. <laughs> totally, totally did the trick for us. We were fine yeah, with it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we were fine. Oh, let me let me let them hear. There's your iced uh, cafe au lait. Uh, just enjoying that right now. So close your eyes and enjoy this with me, okay? Man, I can't get down on that chicory. It's not good. It's not a lot of chicory. It's just bitter. Yeah, I don't you're like You're getting used to bitter, coffee. remember? You've told all the podcast listeners. If that I'm going to drink something bitter, there better be alcohol. In there you it. Go. Oh, okay. So. <laughs> I get it. So that's why you like bitter, is because it gives you a little alcohol fun. Just a little. <laughs> Very good. We got off uh, to a slower start, mainly because I didn't set my calendar to central time. So, oops on me. Missed our first seminar and then coincidentally were able to run into Jim Meehan. And Jim Meehan, if you don't know, uh, started a bar in New York called PDT, which stands for Please Don't Tell, Secret Entrance, all that kind of stuff. It, but it's been a really influential bar nationwide. Right. Won tons of awards, all that kind of stuff. I got his book from him. That was a fun experience, and I actually got to chat with Jim for just a minute. We have to like grow our industry, obviously, in bars, but the reason why the restaurant business and chefs are where they are today is because they flipped it and turned enthusiasts into home cooks who go to restaurants for inspiration, not just for food. Nice. So I think the, the home bartender is really the sort of the growth of that market shows our success or weakness, really. I appreciate that. Yeah, well, it's true. I believe it to be true. Yeah. How How's the transition for you to Portland been? Um, it's been great on a personal level, and, and I would be lying if I didn't say it was humbling on a professional level. Okay. Um, but, you know, it takes time. You know, I feel like it's a, it's a market and a place in the world that is deeply proud of its history and heritage, and 
it, they, they're well aware of the fact that it's a great place to live and, and with a lot of people from New York and California coming there like it's they're worried about their way of life and their values maybe disappearing or sort of being obscured so I'm optimistic that once Portland gets to know me better that it'll welcome me and that I'll be just fine there it's I'm still I'm Jim from New York and Portland yes these interviews brought to you by the all-natural Machu Pisco, celebrating the centennial of the Pisco Sour. Visit and friend their Facebook page for recipes and celebrations of the cocktail and their co-master blender, who is older than the Pisco Sour. And then as we were waiting in line to go to another lecture, Gray ran into Matthew Raleigh, who is the author of Moonshine and... Lost Recipes of Prohibition. He is historically insane. That's probably not a good word. No. <laughs> it sounds like I'm talking about him. But he does so much research on the stuff he does. He is really the authority in the areas that he reads up on. Right. Matthew, like I said, I have his, I have his book, Moonshine. I've seen pictures of him online, mm -hmm. but I've never met him. And I don't think I've ever run into him anywhere. And so I saw him across the way and I was like, I'm going to go ask him. <laughs> you know, I could tell that this dude was super informative and totally knew what he was talking about just because after when we were in the seminar and it was like Q&A, which I cringe at, I'm sorry to say. Yeah, you open, never know what you're going to get. Open mic to like the public just makes me like want to crawl in my skin. It's scary, yeah. But he had the most smartest like question. He also had, no, he didn't have a question. He no. had an answer. The presenters were asking him questions. Right. And I was like, this dude knows his shit. Yeah, he does. Matthew Raleigh, you wrote Moonshine and other things. I did, uh, yeah. That's the one I have. Okay. So, so tell us about yourself. Well, so I live in San Diego. I'm okay. not from there. I moved there about 10 years ago. And um, when I moved there, it was, um, there was a lot of great breweries in town. We have something like 140 breweries wow. now in the, in, the, in the town. And you could get some decent margaritas. But um, it was not a cocktail town yeah. at all. And that has really changed in the last 10 years. So that's been really rewarding. Um, but I also travel a lot. So I go to London and Berlin and New Orleans and New York and, and uh, you know, most people go to museums and things like that when they travel or theme parks. I go to bars and markets yeah. and uh, I drink and I see what's going on around uh, the country and around the world. Um, yeah. I had uh, my last book that was out just this last autumn. It's called Lost Recipes of Prohibition. Oh, nice. And yeah, it was nominated for a James Beard Award. Very um, good. Was, was Congrats, cool, right? yeah. yeah. Um, and the, the gist is that... Um, an old friend of mine who's a chef in Philadelphia was also a cookbook collector like I am. He had about 10,000 cookbooks in his library at home. Wow. I've got about 3,000 now, but one came across his desk that was not what he wanted, um, but he knew I would want it. And it's nice. a, it was an old, handwritten, Prohibition-era um, booze notebook. It was wow. hidden. It was in like English and German and Latin. Wow. And it was one Harlem physician's um, secret recipes. Wow. And he cribbed them from lots of different sources, but yeah. he also went through and made pencil adjustments, so he's figuring out cost of labels and corks and where, like, physically what address to go to get essential oils and things wow, like that. Wow, that's to, awesome. To make things. So yeah. it was a real challenge to go through and translate all that and then make it relevant for a modern audience. Like, who, who really cares yeah. know, about this? But it turns out that you know, he's got maybe a dozen or 15 different gin, you never, uh, like bathtub gin kind of recipes. Wow. And they're really complex and interesting. They're not just the simple, like, juniper oil and, and uh, high proof alcohol. So I had to dive into the history of compounding and, and sort of take cocktail books back to 1862, sure, for Jerry Thomas, but then go back to 1611 for the London Pharmacopoeia and then go back to, like, 
first century AD to uh, some of the stuff in the, in the Roman um, army that, and uh, really kind of trace the history of these sorts of recipes all the way back. Wow, that's really awesome. Yeah. That's I'm kind of glad that book is done, though, too. <laughs> I bet. There's a lot of work. I mean, yeah, that's yeah. that's what you're good at is, is, is the stuff you write is meticulously researched. I mean, it is it is impeccable, the, the quality and accuracy and just the things you find out, the research you do. I, I'm just thankful for you for doing that i don't i think i'm way too lazy to <laughs> pull that off it's, myself it's you know what i'm not sure that it has anything to do with like energy or drive okay it's obsession yeah i i, I um we were joking there's a joke in my family that you know one time we were talking about the, the time and uh it was this long 15 minute discussion we talked about einstein we talked about relativity we talked about time zones and train schedules and you know you can be the same time zone and noon is when the sun's straight above right right but you can be 200 miles away it's also noon but the sun is at a different position right so right that all this long thing and finally my partner said blah blah blah, blah. wait I ask what time it is, not what is time. <laughs> and that's yeah, kind of exactly. how I feel like researching sometimes. And at some point, I just have to stop and say, okay, we're, we, I, really interesting stuff, but I don't have room for it in this book wow. or this article or whatever. So I'm, I'm glad you picked up on that. It's, yeah, uh, for sure. It's a lot of work. And, Good. Uh, I'm glad you're like, yeah. Stop. Yeah, absolutely. So what's next? Uh, I'm working. I'm, I'm under deadline actually today. I'm doing some entries for David Wondrich and the, that big um, Oxford Companion of Spirits and Cocktails. Wow. But I'm also editing uh, entries uh, for several people, like writers I really like working with. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, Jeff Berry is turning wow. into great stuff, Jared Brown and Anastasia Miller, Phil Green, uh, Doug Frost from the Bar Institute. Wow. Um, so I get to work with them and sort of like. You know, is this exactly what it needs to be, or right. hey, this is, can we tweak this a little bit, or like, wow, this is super interesting, but it's 600 words too long. Right. <laughs> wow. So that keeps me busy through the autumn. That's that, fun. That's it's like on. having that. It's like having that uh, research work just kind of offered to you on a platter. Oh, it's a blast. That's really cool. Blast. It's like super interesting. I get to geek out over it, and uh, I know this stuff to a level that most people don't have to know. Yeah. Um, so it's it's really fun to uh, to dive into this particular material. That's and fun. I can't wait for this book to come out. I'm, I'm really excited. About when it. is that, by the way? Ooh, I think it was supposed to have been August. Yeah, okay. you know, it's just it's it's when it's done. There's some adjustments. Yeah, but yeah. we're 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 in the final stretch now, and it's just going to be a massive tome. Uh, even like Wayne Grizz is writing for it, and Paul Clark, and uh, all the guys that you know. If you're reading booze books and Imbibe magazine, it's all names you recognize. Wow, that's uh, great. Yeah, good yeah. to hear. Well, it's great to meet you, and uh, let's have some fun. Well, great. Sounds yeah. great. Special thanks to our sponsor, Jägermeister, the 80-year-old German digestif that's refined one year in oak barrels. Visit Jägermeister.com for cocktail recipes and more. Now that's an especially appropriate sponsorship right now because we spent quite a bit of time with Jäger today. We did. And we had a good time. So we met with Nils and Willie. Nils being kind of the German arm of the Jäger machine right and willie being uh his first off his name is willie shine i know dude what do you even get a name you like that you need to change your name greg to what should my name be <laughs> i don't know <laughs> i'll you get back get to you. i could like narrow it down to 15 okay. and it'll blow your mind so just give me some time you want to call me tommy shelby so yeah i know <laughs> uh so we actually sat down and got to speak with uh willie and nils and we talked about jaeger what role do each of you play at Jaeger? Um, I'm the global brand ambassador for Jägermeister and covering based in Germany, office of Germany, and then the rest. Kind of this year I'm here supporting 
um, our Brentmeister in the US, um, was an event at the Tales of the Cocktail. Very good. The, my title is Brandmeister of the United States, which is basically uh, the national brand ambassador with uh, a little bit more kind of of a role than your typical brand ambassador game. But okay. the title is Brandmeister in the US. Yeah. Okay, awesome. So uh, the big thing, um, or the, the thing that I'm really interested in that Lisa and I have spent a lot of time talking about on our podcast is Jaeger's infamous history as, a sh- as the shot liqueur, but also the craft cocktails you can make with it. So I'm curious, kind of your perspective on that. Well, first, first and foremost, um, you know, the brand itself was created as a, as a shot brand to celebrate the hunt. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been around since 1934, and we're very proud of you know where it has come to in the United States as that celebratory shot moment. But I think where we're going is never leaving that alone, really making sure that people understand, you know, that it is a really great shot brand. But at the end of the day, we want people to understand its versatility and we want people to understand its process and its heritage and where it comes from and how it's made. Because here in this country, you know, it's such a household name. Yeah. Um, but but there's a missing element in between the name and then the experience. Like in between it is what we're trying to, you know, get out to the to everybody is talk about that amazing process and heritage that it comes from. Um, I mean, it takes over a year to make Jägermeister. Yeah. I mean, it's not a fly-by-night, you know, shop brand that's an essence of this and, and like Nutri-Grain Spirit, you know? So like it's a bunch like, of chemicals. Yeah, yeah man. It, there's so yeah. much that goes into it. I mean, there's 56 herbs and spices, four different macerates that come together, sit in German oak cast for over a year. Um, so it takes a lot. Um, and it's the, the recipe has never changed since 1934. And I think what we're trying to do, especially with me coming on, is really get in front of as many bartenders as possible and educate them on what it is and where it comes from. Because as you know, bartenders today um, really want that knowledge and they want that education. And um, it's my goal and, and, and kind of my life's works at this point is to get in front of as many bartenders as possible. Not not only just teach them about Jägermeister, but just, you know, craft spirits and craft craft cocktails and where it all comes from and why. I mean, it's, it's, it's you know, kind of right in my wheelhouse, you know. Yeah. Um, and, and that's where Jägermeister is going, you know. It's, it's always going to be that, that amazing celebratory shot brand, but also the versatility of, of how well it works with cocktails. I mean, there's so many different aspects of it and different, different flavor profiles that you can pull from it. Right. Um, and that's what I think a lot of these bartenders that are using it today are finally starting to understand um, that it can be used in so many different ways. Um, you know, from a bar spoon of it to, you know, two ounces as a base. Yeah. Um, it really works really, really well. So, yeah, that's what we're doing. You guys are in a cool position because everybody has become so obsessed with history and process and everything. You're in a cool position where Jaeger has, being the shot spirit, you know, everybody turns around, looks at it and says, oh, yeah, it's got, <laughs> no, that's exactly you know, it's right. made well. It's no, it's one right. of those things where the background fits, like, yeah. and so so that's a perfectly okay thing. No, that's absolutely right. And here, you know, it, it, it's, it's pretty funny, right? So, like, in this country, we use the term digestif and we use the herbal liqueur and we use amaro and we use all these things, but no one really has an idea of how to kind of build that hierarchy of where they come from and why. And mm-hmm. and it's one of, one of the things that I'm working on uh, really closely is trying to differentiate and how to discuss and how to talk about, you know, potable, non-potable bitters and herbal liqueurs and countries of origin, liquor content, ABV and all that kind of stuff. Wow. And at the end of the day, it's like, it's, it's, it's to not only teach bartenders about that 
herbal sector, but also to show them that Jägermeister, that's where it fits. I mean, that's where it is, you know? I mean, Germany is so well known um, for such craft and and really great stuff from beer to eau de vies to schnapps to um, wines and herbal liqueurs, man. I mean... It, there's been herbal liqueurs in Germany since like the early 1800s, right? Or even earlier? Even earlier. Yeah. I mean, basically, like Bonacombs and yeah. stuff like that, right? Bonacombs is a, a Dutch brand, but it was right. basically like one of its first um, liquor brands, mm. as we know it. Like, really, like, you know, like a brand. Right. Like Jim Beam is a brand for Not whiskey. homemade stuff. So it was yeah. really like, you know, um, and it's a tradition. It's like in all the pharmacies, like, you know, like all the sodas. Um, popped up like you know from pharmacies in the states we have still have like with all the pharmacies in all different sizes we have a traditional and just a regional kind of take on digestive drink so on a tonic on something which helps you sure and basically what um, Willie is pointing out is that since everybody looks to the states for a kind of like you no know, influence or a trend and like you know what makes up the next big thing it is kind of interesting that the we as Jägermeister basically we forgot um, the first years of the very big success which is kind of like still defining Jägermeister as a shot brand today right. as a college disaster or whatever sure. you want to see <laughs> um, and we kind of like you know, we missed out on explaining basically what makes the herbal liquor category in Europe so important mm. Because we were more interested in getting like you know this stuff done. Because as he said, it is not made just like you know overnight. Right. So we need to source the best ingredients. Yeah. And some of them are like not just grown once a year; they are taking longer. Wow. So it's definitely like you know you need to consider where we get it. Sure. And in a not like too small amount, and yeah. definitely always in the best quality. Nice. So that it was like you know now we have the kind of opportunity again to talk about these aspects of quality and why we're so successful. We also had an opportunity to go visit with Jaeger at their party tonight. Yeah. So the deer garden party, as they called it. Right, and just like last year, they did an amazing job. I've never been to a Jaeger party I didn't like, and that's talking out of two parties, Greg. That's right. <laughs> Neither both parties did you not like. Oh, right. Is that, is that the wow, right way to say it? Wow, it was confusing to say. Neither both? I, I get what you're saying. Yes, they were beautiful. They go out of their way to show you the five different flavors that you can get from Jägermeister. Yeah. And um, it's beautiful. Man, a lot of pork was eaten tonight. Yeah, different varieties of pork. Right. Different pieces of pork. Mm-hmm. We got pig's ears again. Yes, we, we had did. We wild boar sliders. Wow. Which were... Quite frankly, mind-blowing. Right. So we enjoyed the party and had a good time. And, of course, uh, we got our donuts, which was fun. But there was one other thing we got to do today, and that was to go to a seminar, which we had been looking forward to quite a bit. Because this was a seminar that was hosted uh, by not exactly a cocktail person, not a bartender, uh, but someone we knew well. And uh, who was that person, Lisa? Well, we didn't know him well other than through television. Through reputation. Exactly. But it was Rick Bayless. Yeah. So I used to watch him when he would do Mexico one plate at a time. And you have to understand that, yes, I am a Mexican, but when I was growing up, I wasn't too fond of like my food or even my culture. No. So it took marrying a white guy and it took... Who loves watching Mexican food. Exactly. And it took watching a white guy talk about like how beautiful the food is for me to start to look back at myself and like think, hey, 
this food that my grandma would make, that my father would make, was really amazing, and I should be proud of it. I'm going way too far on this, but I have to just let you know, I was starstruck. Yeah, I saw Lisa in a nervous state that I had not seen her at all this week. I Reed. can keep my cool with celebrities, but this one I kind of celebrity fell apart. bartenders are nothing to you. But Rick Bayless, <laughs> uh, that that was the kicker. Yeah. <laughs> so the seminar itself was about flavors, just in general. Right. There was cocktails paired with everything, but there was an assortment of flavors, all based in Mexico. So it was Mexican flavor. It was like a Mexican flavor seminar. I right. Think was. Right. Rick was there. Uh, there was a bartender from. San Francisco, and then the guy who makes Ancho Reyes uh, liqueur, and it was a fun seminar. It was. So I, inf- I could have sat in that seat for two hours. It was so informative. Yeah, it was. It was great, and we got to talk to Rick afterwards, which was quite an experience and quite an honor. How do you connect cooking with cocktails? What's the connection oh, you see? Oh, you know, now it seems like that every bartender is becoming uh, a good cook. And I know so many bartenders that are really good cooks, too. So all we do is to try to bring the knowledge of the kitchen together with the knowledge of the bar. And we do a lot of brainstorming in our restaurant, uh, bringing different techniques from the kitchen in. And a lot of times the bartenders will say, I'm looking for this flavor. How would you make it in the kitchen? Yeah. And so we'll show them the ways that we would do that and then they transfer that over to what's going on in the in the bar so I think mixology has opened our eyes now that you can there can be a culinary aspect of the of the bar and we're really focused a lot on that and that's one of the reasons I wanted to do this seminar because I think it is a um, it is what a lot of bartenders are trying to figure out it's like how do you how do you take those culinary aspects and apply them in the bar yeah and where do you find them I mean, yeah that, that was a really helpful thing too good 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 i'm glad i like the concept of uh the more color, the more flavor. Right. Kind of a, kind of an idea it's really true. That. Things yeah. that are that are really pale have a very light flavor. I mean, just think of anything that's white. It just is like there's not much there. But if you think of things that are really dark, chocolate, for instance, it's going to be just jam packed with flavor. So if you see something that is red, it's probably going to remind you a little bit of cherry notes because those are the color is usually from the same things that would be um, in cherries. And so you'll get a little of that kind of of note in the flavor. So I'm always talking to people about that, that color equals flavor. And you just get that in your head. You'll start to think about food flavors in a different way. This episode is also brought to you by Catoctin Creek Distilling Company, home of Roundstone Rye Whiskey, available in 14 states and internationally. Fermented, distilled, aged, and bottled at a Virginia distillery. Do you know where your whiskey is made? Visit CatoctinCreek.com for more information or order online. All right, guys, that's going to do it for us at Tales of the Cocktail. We're packing our bags and heading back to Albuquerque. We will do one more summary podcast of our Tales adventure in the coming week. Uh, But this was our last daily Tales of the Cocktail podcast. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the interviews. We hope they were helpful and informative. They were sure fun for us. I'm Greg Mays, Managing Editor of SimpleCocktails.net. And I'm Lisa Mays. Remember to check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Cheers.